and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 99. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So maybe you're interested in catching up on back episodes of the Drabblecast from the days of yesteryear. Or maybe you've got a sweet, strange, yet old-fashioned grandma who thinks a feed is what she does to her pet armadillos every morning before sunrise. Well, we've finally gotten around to making the Drabblecast available on CD. That's right, we've got three seasons of the Drabblecast, episodes 1 through 79, on a three-disc set for sale at poddisc.com. You can find the specific link in our show notes. Bo Kyer, our beloved bizarre graphic artist, tastily tricked them out per usual, so they look flippin' tight. So what are you waiting for? China's only getting stronger by the second, people. Do your part to fight communism and stimulate the economy by buying archived Drabblecast episodes. We're totally making this easy for you. It's like the economy was our hot best friend or something, who we would never think of dating because she looks up to us like we're her big brother or whatever, but we still want the best for her. So we set her up with you at this fancy restaurant, with a candlelit dinner and everything, and all you've got to do is order some wine, say all the right things, take her back to your place, and give her your stimulus package, so that we can get the GDP back on track, or else we're all doomed. Speaking of being doomed, this week our 100-word Drabble story is called We Slept Through the End of the World by Brian Baer. Brian is a graduate of the Creative Writing Program at Eastern Washington University. He's been published online and in print at Bewildering Stories and Northwest Boulevard, respectively. We woke up to pure featureless white and rubbed our eyes in disbelief. Apparently this is what heaven looks like. Nobody knows what happened, but we have ideas. We faction off into races, religions, nationalities, and claim our own spots in the void. We eye each other warily. Mistrust runs rampant. It is everyone else's fault. Why don't we ask God? Someone asks. He's been standing next to us the whole time, so big we forgot to notice. We raise our shrill voices, but only see his impossibly tall shoulders shrug as he wipes the sleep out of his eyes. Our feature story this week is called Sarah's Window by Jannie Lee Simner. Jannie's published four books for younger children and has more than 30 short stories, including appearances in Realms of Fantasy, Moving Targets, and other tales of Vedlamar, Escape Pod, and Pseudopod. This week's story first appeared in Realms of Fantasy and later in Tales of the Talisman. Jannie's post-apocalyptic young adult fantasy, Bones of Fairy, will be coming out next week, January 27th, by Random House Publishing. So if you like this story... There's another chance to save us all from China. You'll find the link to Bones of Fairy also in our show notes. So without further ado, Sarah's Window by Jannie Lee Simner. The shadow lingered at Sarah's window, balanced on air, certain to fly away the next step I took. Another moment and it would be gone. 
Another moment and I would call the police, report my daughter missing, and spend the rest of my life convincing myself I'd imagined it. Maybe I'd read too many of Sarah's bedtime stories. I didn't take that next step. What I did was whisper, very low, Wait. The shadow waited in complete silence, while the trees outside rustled in the autumn wind, casting shadows on Sarah's dresser. I felt strange, as if with that one word I'd passed some sort of test, but maybe that shouldn't have seemed strange. There were often tests like that in Sarah's stories, after all. I swallowed hard. I want my daughter back. The shadow laughed, his voice crackling like fire on dry wood. <laughs> what makes you think that I took her? The shadow slid down from the window and into the room. All at once it wasn't a shadow at all, but a man, nearly twice my height. His thin arms were gnarled like tree branches, his hair brown and wild as September leaves. He sat on the edge of Sarah's bed, staring at me through clear, blue-green eyes, like the lake where I'd taken Sarah swimming just before school started. I clenched my hands into fists by my sides, how dare he hold something of my daughter in his eyes? How dare he sit so easily on her bed? I want her back. There was an edge of steel in my voice. I was glad. I remembered something in the stories about how they didn't like steel. I know what you are. <laughs> I go by many names. Which would you prefer? He counted them off on his tapered fingers, like items on a grocery list. Fairy, witch, devil, stealer of souls, a psychopath, maybe, who you'd put behind bars if you could catch me. You won't, though, the window screen is open, and if it weren't, there are cracks around the sill. He lifted a stuffed tiger from Sarah's pillow and turned it over in his hands. I leapt forward and grabbed the tiger away from him. He let the animal go as if he'd never really wanted it in the first place. I clutched it to my chest, smelling the scent of Sarah's long hair feeling very much like a child myself. There are times when feeling like a child isn't something a father can afford to do. I threw the animal down again. You stole her, I said. <laughs> Stolen is such an emotional word. The man fairy, witch, whatever spoke with the calm of a still, clear night. You say we steal children, and with that you call up a manner of awful images. 
you see us coming under shadow of night to spirit your young ones away with our false words, our songs, our spells. There's magic that can do that, of course. Not even very strong magic. And I'm not so noble that I wouldn't use it if I felt the need. He took the frilled edge of Sarah's blanket between his fingers. But I haven't felt the need. Not through all my long years, and certainly not tonight. Your daughter followed me quite willingly, stepping out her window to a sky full of stars, reveling in her sudden light limbs, and never, not once, looking back. He smiled and his teeth shone brighter than the lamp by Sarah's bed. Not all lost things are stolen. Surely, even with your short human life, you know that much. He was lying, twisting words. I wanted to rip the blanket out of his hands, to grab him by the neck and shake him until he returned Sarah to me, but I feared that he'd only turn back into a shadow and slip through my fingers. She's my daughter, I said, surprised at how my voice shook. She wouldn't run away. You really His eyes glittered like a frozen river in the sun. Sarah loves me. It was one of the few things on this earth I knew for certain. I expected him to deny it, but he didn't. She also loves other things. Her freedom. The taste of starlight on her tongue. The whispering softness of the wind in her hair. That's the trouble with humans. You love so many things that you can't possibly be true to them Sarah was my only child. I was raising her alone. His words weren't true. They couldn't be true. Not for us. The words rippled through the air, and only then did I know that I'd spoken aloud. Yes. For you, just the same as for everyone else. I'll show you. His voice held the chill edge of a challenge, and I realized that I was still being tested. He started back toward the window, 
long legs gliding across the room. I ran after him, knowing he might slip through my fingers, but knowing I at least had to try to hold him back. At the very last moment, he stepped aside. I crashed into the windowsill, banging my elbow against the frame. I winced and turned to face him. He was gone. Or almost gone. Look out the window, a voice said. I did. I saw our yard two stories below, faintly lit by a lamp near the house. I saw a battered tire swinging from a tree. I saw a blanket stretched between two branches, one side pulled down to turn it into a tent. I heard a girl's crystal laugh, tumbling out into the autumn air, so near I could almost reach out and touch it. Sarah! I leaned out the window as far as I could, straining to see her. Nothing. For a moment, I almost flew down the stairs, almost ran into the yard to look for her. She could have been behind a tree, after all, or beneath the tent. But if she were really right in the yard, she would have come when I called. I looked out into the dark night, beyond the yard, in spite of how close Sarah sounded. I almost didn't see it. A flicker at the edge of my vision, not of light, but of velvet darkness. Some instinct kept me from turning to look at it directly. Instead, I stared straight ahead, willing the flicker to grow, to spread across the rest of my vision. For a moment, the sky blurred, like a picture held too close to my face. Then, it snapped into focus. So fast my head ached. There was no yard outside. Not anymore. Only endless dark and pinpoints of light that glittered like newly cut diamonds. I let out a breath. I knew for certain now where Sarah had been taken. Through the window to a place of empty sky and cold, distant stars. She was alone there and probably frightened. I had to find her. I climbed over the sill, finding footholds against the old stone house. Very slowly, I started to climb down the stones. Sarah's laugh grew fainter. I climbed faster. The wind picked up, but I held firmly to the rock. A shadow came up beside me. The same shadow I'd first seen poised at Sarah's window. I tensed, tightening my grip on the wall. I could feel the house cool beneath my fingers, but I could no longer see it any more than I could see the trees of my own backyard. Shadow fingers reached for my shoulders. Shadow hands pushed me away from the wall. I screamed, expecting to crash to the ground. But then I realized something strange. 
I wasn't falling. I was surrounded by black sky, soft as freshly spun silk. The shadow laughed. Wind whispered through trees I couldn't see, and fainter than either of these sounds, Sarah giggled once and was silent. I panicked then, opening my mouth to call after her, and starlight spilled onto my tongue, and with it, a sharp tang of joy. The words fell back into my throat, and laughter bubbled up instead. I felt suddenly strange, light and giddy. For an awful moment, I didn't care that my daughter was missing. For just a moment, I couldn't even remember her name. I knew only that I wanted to fly among the stars, to spin in circles until I turned dizzy. I felt like a child again. There are times when feeling like a child isn't something a father can afford to do. I forced my mouth closed, biting my lower lip. I swallowed, tasting something bitter at the back of my throat. Go on. The shadow voice laughed. Go on and find your daughter. I held myself very still, staring into the dark. A chill wind blew. The cold gave me strength. I clenched my fists, digging my nails in my palms. The pain gave me strength, too. Slowly, I pulled myself upright. Impossibly, the sky held my weight as I stepped forward. I started after Sarah, one step following another, even though I could no longer hear her. She was my daughter. Somehow, I would bring her home. The stars grew brighter. When the wind blew again, it was warm, caressing my cheek with the sweet scent of spring. I took another step forward. I'm doing this for Sarah, I whispered. In stories, the last test is always the hardest. I should have remembered that. As I spoke, my lips parted just for a moment. I tasted spring and childhood and the ability to run for all time without tiring. And in that moment, my words were no longer true. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have a kid, you ought to give her a hug when you get home. If you don't have a kid, well, why don't you give someone else's kid a quick and totally innocent mental hug? So, story feedback. 
For Christmas, we ran episode 95, On Dasher, by Jonathan C. Gillespie, a holiday story with mythological beasts, leviathans, and cute little sick kids. People really responded well to this story, and I was happy to see that people also enjoyed my song at the beginning, The Government Saves Christmas. A few people had some issues with the story's sappiness, like Ellie Quantifier, who said, I have to say, I had trouble getting into the main story, though the opening skit was brilliant beyond words. I felt that the story tried to arouse too much pity in the listener. It'd still be a lovely story about the meaning of Christmas without utilizing the little cancer patient. Maybe I'm just feeling this way because it's December 29th, and the Christmas glow is kind of worn off. T. Baker responded by saying, Emotionally yanking stories like this are either hot or cold. They catch you in the right mood, or they don't. At another time, I could have been pissed at the story for trying to manipulate my emotions, but it worked for me this time. True dat. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you join our discussion forums and let us know what you think about our stories, or our podcast, or, you know, Keanu Reeves' performance in The Day of the Earth Stood Still. You can find a link to our forums off our main page at www.drabblecast.org, and you can also find and subscribe to our other fiction podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides, or our MP3 feed, in case you have problems with the format of our show. Oh yeah, and you can also find a donate button there. Well, two actually. One that allows you to donate once to help us out, and one that allows you to subscribe for five bucks a month, so we don't have to send our spiky-fingered shadow demons to take your children. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? Most of our authors don't accept children as a form of payment anymore. In fact, to some it's even insulting, and they start to think of us as a creepy and amateurish market. We don't want that. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it with your friends, or your enemies, or your frenemies, whoever you want. We'd appreciate the crap out of you if you blogged about us or reviewed us on iTunes or wherever you get our feed. So, see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you to get those cracks around your windowsill sealed. Not only are you losing offspring that way, you're losing a lot of heat. Go green. Boss man said, Tony, we've been waiting a while. When the hell have you been? The bars are closing and it's last call for drinks And we brought something for you, dear friend Brought me the goods, asked Tony